0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the CityWOW Ratings Radar podcast. My name is Richard Lander. Uh, we have a slightly different format for you this week. Frank Talbot uh, is off on his summer travels, motioning across Europe I believe. So in a stunning tactical formation, Angus Foote shifts effortlessly from the co-host seat to join Nisha on the analytical sofa. Uh, and Agnes has been talking to some senior asset management executives recently and will shortly be enlightening with us on how they see their priorities as we emerge blinking and peering from lockdown. Uh, but first, Nisha, who is going to tell us about a trio of equity fund managers who've not only got their first CitiWire fund manager ratings, but have done so in style with a triple A rating. So Nisha, take it away.
1: Yeah, thanks, Richard. So the new July ratings are out now. And as you mentioned, um, there are a trio of managers who've come in with their first triple A rating. just to put it into context, in July, there were, 30, well, in the July ratings cut to 63 managers who received their first CityWire rating. And it, there were only three managers who have got their first AAA you know, coming in for the first time ever. And there are just three, as I said, but two are female managers as well, which is great. great. Um, so just to um, start with the first one, Caroline Rosenberg. Now, she's a manager of the Fidelity Fast Europe Fund. And she comes in after accumulating her three year track record on the fund and gains her first AAA straightaway, which is fantastic. Um, she manages the fund with Fabio Richelli, who featured in last, um, the last Ratings Radar newsletter. Um, I highlighted him as one of the best European fund managers. And now Caroline has joined him in, that, in the ranks there. And one of the reasons they're up there is um, the fund is up 46 percent over the last three years. And if you compare this with the MSCI Europe index, it's just up 2% in euro terms during that period. So you can see that they've done fantastically well in that time. Now, one of the reasons is that they're very active stock pickers and investing in European companies which do trade below their intrinsic value. So they might have found quite a lot of opportunities, especially within the first half of this year. But another thing that they do, because they're so active, they're allowed to use short positions in their portfolio and just to name a couple because you know some of these positions are hidden very well on the fact sheet but um, we managed to find a couple Um, Telia company which is a Swedish multinational company and Swisscom and also um, Deutsche Lufthansa so you can understand why Lufthansa was um, has been a shorted position on there and the long positions are the normal staples of European equity funds, they have um, British American Tobacco, Nova Nordisk, Roche, for example, and the top contributors, as you might expect in June, are those like pharma companies, the tech companies. Ingenico Group, for example, did really well. However, the detractors in June, especially in their portfolio, was Just Eat, which I found quite surprising um, considering uh, how many people have been having, well, having deliveries. Um, from that platform but also Hargreaves Lansdown, which doesn't surprise me at all being a detractor in the portfolio
0: I think Just um, Eat's had their merger blocked didn't they which
1: yeah is probably, so that could be probably
2: why yeah, yeah. absolutely. okay so who's number two number
1: now, before two, you go on yeah. can I I'm yeah. just
2: interested to um, to flag up a couple of things there Nisha, firstly those Fast Funds, Fidelity Fast Funds, have got an interesting history in themselves. You're, you're, um, you're quite a lot younger than me, but Richard I'm sure will remember the, the advent of 13030 funds, which was uh, a spate of launches back in, I guess, what is it, sort of mid-2000s, perhaps, um, and these were funds, so 13030 was this idea that you go 130 long, 30 short, it was taking advantage of new uses, three powers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Most of them seem to have disappeared, but the fast fund range was Fidelity's answer to that. It was their version of the 13030 concept. And so it's interesting firstly, they're still around. Um, but the other thing I find really interesting is that all this, that all the talk that was then about using derivatives and short positions in usage funds has kind of, it's long, long forgotten. So the idea of 13030 as a separate concept, it, it It reminds me somewhat of what we're hearing now about ESG, where people talk about it as a separate thing, and then over time it just becomes embedded in everyone's processes and is no longer remarkable. So slight digression, but the other thing I wanted to highlight was that Fidelity European desk, which had, again, going back decades really, had a great history as a nursery of talent, and they uh, they had some real selector favorites amongst their managers, People like Graham Clapp and David Bavarez. and then you go even further back. Anthony Bolton actually used to run one of those European funds for Fidelity. Um, so it, it, interesting to see them coming back with some managers, you know, star managers really, having gone through a period where that uh, that desk sort of uh, fell below the radar a bit. Yep,
0: yeah, sounds good. So Nita, transporters magically from Europe to China for your next. Yeah, so, them.
1: yeah, other side of the world, Rebecca Yang. So she's also come in with her first ever CityWire rating, which is a triple A rating, and she manages a number of Chinese equity funds. Um, the main ones are the JP Morgan China and JP Morgan Greater China Fund. And she manages, well, co-manages these funds with Howard Wang, and they're both based in um, Hong Kong. So they're on the ground for most of it, so you can meet the companies out there, etc. cetera. But... Um, The fund itself, the JP Morgan China fund is 2.2 billion, it's huge, Uh, but it is a concentrated portfolio. So um, they hold the likes of Tencent and Alibaba at 9% each of the portfolio, which is huge in a 2.2 billion Mm -hmm. fund. So, but this is what's worked for them over the past three years, over the last six months. So over the last three years, the funds up 62%, which is, you know, fantastic, MSC China, um around 29% over that time so you can see you know their high conviction approach has been working does she um, run
0: the growth and income fund as well
1: um no Oh,
0: okay i've got that one and That's it's done very it. well as well <laughs> fantastic
1: <So. laughs> i'm sure they're using some kind of well same kind of analysts um, for yeah. their stock picks but they've done fantastically well but they also have quite a lot sort of you know off benchmark positions which i like about this fund um they have muji biologics um, netease D international software so the software companies which are doing pretty well and as expected, what's done, what's helped them over the last six months and two years, overweight IT and healthcare, which we've seen in many funds. Also, they're underweight, as we've seen in industrials and energy. So that's you know helping them along quite a bit. Um, but we'll see you know what happens in the coming months because, I mean, we're going to be seeing the Q2 GDP figures coming out of China very that's soon thursday, yeah Yeah, that's thursday so we'll see what happens there um with the growth prospects um but i can't for now being in a triple a in this environment coming banging with that fantastic cool and last but not least the male manager who's yeah. come in um jeff muller of poland Glo- um, asset management on the global growth fund now the fund is us domiciled um, but he does look for sustainable above average um, earnings growth. Um, what I like about this fund, and which is quite different for a go- global growth fund, is that it's very concentrated, with just, just 30 names in the portfolio. He has a very good active share, which is about 88% against the MSCI ACWI index. And the fund is relatively small, um, compared to the other two managers I've mentioned, um, $119 million in the fund. But as I said, very concentrated in the likes of Microsoft, Alibaba, Alphabet, Facebook, Adobe. You know, you can see why, you know, he's done pretty well. He, it, the fund's dominated by infotech, consumer discretionary, and being about, what, 50, over 50% in the U.S. Um, stocks, you know, it has really propelled his returns. And again, another manager with like oh, above 60% over the three years. Um, so he's done, yeah, really well.
0: Well, yeah, there's a common pattern between all those three funds, aren't there?
1: Yep. Consumer,
0: tech, C- pharma. Yep.
1: Absolutely. Stay They're out of the, the way of
0: industrials and...
1: Energy stocks.
0: It, yeah, things live. that will require yeah. a lot of capital.
1: Interesting. Absolutely.
0: So, yeah. Angus, two female managers out of three. Uh, a remarkable turnaround. Uh, the industry has solved its gender problem, <laughs> or is this just a coincidence?
2: Well, without wanting to give too much away, we've got our brand new alpha female uh, report coming out in the next uh, week or two. Nisha's been working, uh, working hard on that. Um, so that's something we've been doing for five years, Nisha, is that right? Yeah, this is that's the fifth right. year that we've done it. And that basically reveals what percentage of the total number of managers in the database, in our database, are women. And uh, if you've been following that over the last five years, you will know that it has changed very little in years one to four. So we've been hearing an awful lot in certainly the last couple of years from asset management CEOs about the efforts they are making uh, on gender diversity and the initiatives they're taking. So we'll see when those numbers come out uh, next week or the week after, whether that's had any effect or or whether that number is still uh, stuck down where it's been for four years. Uh, Place your bets.
0: You're playing your cards very close (laughs) to your chest, Angus.
2: Yeah, well, you know, obviously I don't want to steal anybody's thunder, but, uh, you know, I I don't think it's any secret that the industry's made painfully slow progress on this. Uh, Everybody talks about, I think... CEOs acknowledge that it's something that is—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's hard to move the dial on these kind of things quickly. But I think people are getting impatient. And uh, mm. very interestingly, our world of asset management event last week that I uh, co-hosted with our, our colleague and chairman Lawrence Lever. The um, the CEOs particularly, they were majoring on diversity. That's very, very high on their agendas. And uh, you know, I think it's sincere and that they wanna do something about this. And of course, diversity has taken on a whole new uh, layer of reason with the, uh, you know, what's happening in the US around Black Lives Matter. And that's obviously giving the industry food for thought. So how that manifests itself in greater gender diversity in portfolio management we shall see. But as I say, that big report is out uh, in the next couple of weeks. And that, again, benchmarks the asset managers against one another uh, on, the, uh, on the percentage of female managers they have.
0: We look forward but, to it. I mean, just before you leave that, I mean, you, uh, the event, you had some CEOs, chief investment mm, officers and heads of sales.
2: Mm, so
0: probably about 15, 18 people in all. How, how many 24. women? 24, beg your pardon.
2: <laughs> uh, how
0: many women were there?
2: How many women were there? There were uh, not as many as, not as many as we would have liked. <laughs> there were two or three I would say uh, I've just just cast my mind back. It was a bit of a marathon, so uh, some of it's become a blur. We had, I think three women in total. Okay, well there we are. that speaks. worth mentioning, perhaps also though the um, the CIOs. That took part in that discussion they touched on a lot of the themes really that that come through Nisha when you're um, analyzing these managers. the One of the big themes was dispersion of returns, the fact that they expect to see mm. a, a much greater gap between winners and losers in terms of investment managers. And that's all part of this. Everybody's talking about the comeback of active. And dif- yeah. differentiation within asset classes, though, is, is also a key theme. So for example, emerging markets, it's no good saying, yes, I'm into emerging markets. You've got to be really clear about not just which markets, but then which segments within the markets and, and how you play that will, will, will actually really affect whether you're on the, the winning or the losing side.
1: No, Absolutely, because I'm um, just um, looking at the H1 figures, actually, I did a, it's on the citywide selector, looking at the top 10 and bottom 10 performers. And the dispersion, as you mentioned, Angus, is, is huge. So at the top, we have a manager who um, returned around 117% in the first six months of the year. But that fund if i just mention the name you can see why it's global internet leaders there you go you can see yeah. why it's done really well. All the boxes. It's all
2: well i mean again absolutely. from the, from the cios there was a lot of talk about themes the, the themes they think will will play out more strongly over the coming years and no surprise everything digital was what one, one cio said everything digital uh, and there's things like within that there are things like security so with everybody working at home internet security takes on a whole new dimension so um, lots of attractive plays there. Things around the supply chain that's come into focus with what's happened with panic buying and all this kind of uh, this kind of stuff that we've been seeing in the crisis. So supply chain uh, firms that are actually actively managing that are, are seen as attractive, and uh, and of course healthcare. But actually, probably most interesting of all, or most most pertinent of all, is that almost every discussion we had around investment ultimately came back to ESG and sustainability. In every field, every segment, ESG and sustainability is, is just the theme you cannot get away from. All right, and
0: uh, as sincere as their quest for gender diversity, more <laughs> sincere or
2: more well, green watching? I, I wouldn't question. Well, uh, uh, it's not my place to question people's <laughs> sincerity. I don't. Uh, so I would say there's a difference in mm-hmm. that the sustainability uh, focus is is driven very much by client money. So if clients are asking for it, you have to do it. Uh, and, and you're being judged on it in ways that you weren't before. Diversity is obviously more complex and, uh, and it's, it, I mean, interestingly, a couple of the big US gatekeepers, the, the, the really big selection units in the US, are starting to benchmark the asset managers they work with on the basis of how diverse the asset management firms staff. Right are if that makes sense it does so yeah. once that starts to happen and these are these are groups that control you know hundreds of billions if not trillions of dollars so that starts to take effect whether you whether you were serious about diversity yesterday or not you will be today when your biggest clients start knocking on the door saying yeah. we want to take a look at how diverse you are so i i think um I, I think the sincerity thing sort of becomes irrelevant i think it becomes a must do for lots yeah. of groups
0: so they've all got to buy our uh, alpha female report. Is what you alpha do.
2: female it will unlock the yeah. uh, unlock the data.
0: <laughs> Good, yeah. No, I mean I've been sort of talking to quite a lot of managers and stuff about ESG lately, and what's gone away, I think, and quite rapidly is uh, even just a year ago they're saying, yeah, we've got all the ESG funds uh, because there's you know there's a lot of media about it, but no one's actually buying them, and I think. Mm. I think that's gone away i think people are actually buying them or demanding to see what's in you know inside the
2: yeah in the uh, tin. i feel that's also a phase that we're just moving through though richard because the message seems to be that what's going to happen is that esg criteria as we call them will get built into every process exactly in the same way that usage three powers have gone from being a 130 30 specialist area So just embedded in what most people do
0: Uh, i think on that point we'll wrap up uh we'll be back for one last podcast in a couple of weeks before the summer hopefully frank will have returned safely from his uh, grand tour of europe uh so thank you angus thank you nisha and thank you to everyone who's listened Uh, we'll see you very soon